from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Ask Christopher West Show, hosted by Wendy West. Here I am. We're happy to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. I had a funny experience a couple weeks ago. I got a letter in the mail, the old-fashioned way, because someone was sending me, was it 20 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever, for a book that I gave him 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I I do this when people can't afford my books. I just say, here, take it. If you can pay later, fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and this guy had this on his conscience for like 20 years Aww. that he hadn't paid for this book. So he sent me a letter with 15 bucks in it and saying, this this is for the book you gave me 20 years ago. So what did I do? I sent him a copy of my new book and said, don't worry about paying me for it. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. That's I thought fun. that was pretty funny. That was. <laughs> Thank you, whoever you are. I can't even remember your name right now. <laughs> but okay. that, I thought that was pretty funny. Of mm-hmm. all the letters I get, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all generally good ones, but that was a But just to pull memorable. the cash out of the envelope and find out the story behind it, that yeah. was fun. Fun. Do you have any updates for us on the Institute? I do. We want to welcome publicly our latest employee of the Theology of the Body Institute. Her name is Faith Romano. She has recently come on board as our... Uh, what do we call her, CFO, Chief Financial Officer. And we are so happy to have her on our team. And I want to give a shout out to the anonymous donor who allowed us to hire Faith. We could not have done it. We, are, we were desperately in need of a CFO, and we are still desperately in need of some other key staff members that we don't have to fulfill our mission. Shout out to the generous, generous donor and believer in our mission who said, I will foot the first year salary so that you can hire your CFO. So grateful to you. Mm. And if there is anyone else out there who believes in what we're doing and you want to help us to hire our new staff members that we really need to fulfill our mission, if you're able to donate a year's salary, if you just want to become a patron, if you're not already, and offer us 20 or 50 or $100 a month so that we can bring on the staff members we need to fulfill our mission, we would be most grateful. Um, if you do want to donate for a year's salary for a, a new employee for us, please reach out to us and let us know, and we will be in touch, and we can make arrangements for that to happen. Awesome. Yeah. So welcome, Faith. Thank you for being yes, on our team. Yes, we love you, Faith. Um, I have a question ready for you. Let's do it. This is from a patron. And what's the patron's name? patron's name is Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Wendy and Christopher. Thank you both for letting us into your lives in the intimate way that you do. You honor us with your honesty. Oh, that's nice to hear. I was introduced to Christopher's teaching in 20... Oh, I'm sorry, in 2002 at a Theology of the Body conference hosted by Family Honor in Charleston, South Carolina. I remember it. I remember the very event. Mm -hmm. I've been studying and sharing TOB ever since. Beautiful. Today's world is rife with the idea that we get to decide for ourselves who we are, that no one else can tell us what we are or how to be. 
One of the side effects of gender ideology is the changing of names and pronouns. In the abstract, I see changing one's name as a sign of personal growth, like no longer being called by a childhood nickname, for instance. When my niece started going by her initials, I reluctantly agreed, trying to see it as understandable. Now, my son wants to change his name to a gender-neutral name, telling me that he also wants to go by they-them pronouns. This is a young man I bore in my body. My husband and I chose good, strong Catholic names for all our children in the hopes that the saints and angels we named them after would serve not only as prayer warriors, but also as examples to them of godly manhood. By rejecting the name that we chose for him, my son is also rejecting the future that God chose for him before he was born. I don't mind his friends and co-workers calling him by his chosen name. That is a right that everyone has. I am, however, gutted that his new name is also an indication of his enthusiastic embrace of sinfulness and paganism. I don't think that I can love this new persona the same way I love my baby. I will always love him and hope and pray and root for his soul to return to God. While I wait, though, what do I call him? Lauren, bless you. Bless you, dear sister. This is a trial that I can only imagine. Uh, I, I relate immediately to what you say when you said, I, I feel gutted. And I thought your word choice there when you said, I can't love this new persona is, is apt because that's what it is. It's a persona. It's not his true person. And obviously, as you said, you will always love his true person. You are faced with a dilemma. What do I call him? I don't know that I can, I can give you the answer uh, to that question. I, I, I mean, what I, what I lean towards is you can't buy in to the ideology that he wants you to buy into. And I think the new name that he has chosen for himself is, is a symbol of this new ideology that he has bought into. I, I tell the story in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, and this is the updated and revised edition where I added a chapter on gender identity questions because when I first wrote this book in the late 90s, this wasn't even on the table at the time in the culture. Obviously, it is now, so that's why I revised it and added this new chapter. Anyway, I tell the story in that book of a person who worked in a homeless shelter. And this man came in. He was obviously a man, but he was dressed as a woman, and he went by a woman's name. And the, the man who ran the homeless shelter obviously knew this was a man dressed as a woman, but he didn't know him. And he went along initially with what this person wanted to be called. But over time, as he got to know him better, and they got to know each other better, he could lovingly explain to him why he couldn't and wouldn't continue to call him 
she or refer to her, um, but would call him a man and wondered what his name had been. And anyway, they had had a relationship where it allowed him to be honest with him. My point is this, and in including that story in my book and repeating it here, it's to give an example where I think it's appropriate, even if you know that's not a person's real name, in some circumstances, to use the, the name of this person's persona. It could be appropriate in a given situation. Is it appropriate in your situation? It's a different situation than, than running a homeless shelter, isn't it? Because it's your own son. If it were my son, I don't think I could. I don't think I could use the new name. I, I would explain to my son why I believe what I believe and why I would find it unloving to use this new, the name of a persona and to reinforce a lie. I couldn't do it. I don't know that I would say objectively I think it's wrong in every situation. I can only speak for myself and say I I wouldn't do it. What about you, Wendy? What are your thoughts here? Well, I I know the the closing question was, of course, what do I call him? I think um, a lot of things came out in Lauren's sharing about her journey um, with just – illustrating a certain um, openness to just respecting people's wishes and knowing that there can be lots of reasons for changing a name and yet with her own son recognizing his reason is not a good reason and um, and the pain of his choices and what he's believing all of that um, so you know as parents we are praying for our children, if we're parents with faith, from the time they're conceived, we're praying for them, praying for them, because they're entering into this life just as we did into this broken world with our own brokenness, living amongst broken people. We, we know the struggles, and we are praying for the graces that they need to fulfill the mission God has for them. So I feel all of that concern in the mother's heart that this is a sign that he's rejecting the future God chose for him. And uh, just a thought I have in order to kind of look for ways to maintain this relationship with your son. One is to just recognize that with the persona, his person is not totally lost. And um he somewhere inside wants to know that you still see him, that you recognize uh, something deeper inside him, even if he wouldn't say that in conversation. We all want to be truly known. So I, I think that one of the ways that we can take a certain action is to, is to continue to affirm the expressions that we see of the real person that we know our children to be, Um, not to think that because of this lifestyle and these sins and these lies that that there's nothing left. That's that's not our faith. We know that just as we don't believe in 
utter depravity as Catholics. We believe that the goodness that God has created us with and through remains somehow. So to find ways to affirm that goodness. I do think a conversation with your son in which you acknowledge you cannot call him by this name he's requested and that it does not mean you don't love him um, is probably appropriate. And truly, it is possible to have a, a relationship where we don't say the name in conversation anyway. And I know many teachers take that approach when they're asked to call a student by, you know, a, a alternate name. They find ways to communicate that they're just not using a name or a pronoun and in most circumstances. So there's, there's a certain amount of just getting around it in that way. But I, do, I agree with you that as a parent, I would be very reluctant to engage with that other name. I was struck also by her intentionality in naming her children mm-hmm. after certain saints. And she hasn't shared the name of her son, but I would invite you, I'm sure you already are, to ask that saint for whom you named him to intercede for him to come to know his true identity. Uh, And you may find uh, reading that chapter in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, helpful. I have some resources in there for parents to learn more and grow more deeply in understanding these realities. In light of that, I might suggest attending the Sexual Redemption and Integration course. Sorry, it's Sexual Integration and Redemption course. At the end of January of 2024 here in Pennsylvania, we host it as the TOB Institute, but it's offered by the Desert Stream Ministry Team. And it would be an excellent way for you to enter more deeply into the understanding of these issues and to provide, uh, hopefully, as a result, better pastoral care for your son if he were open to it. So just something to consider. Mm. And as a patron, um, if you want to get a little taste of the work of the Desert Stream team, look at the retreat that we offered for our patrons uh, with the Desert Stream team on your patron website. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Dear Wendy, dear Christopher, in the past years, I developed a friendship with a woman who's several years older than I am. We got to know each other very well in a sibling way. And I recently started considering if we should enter into a romantic relationship. She knows about my thoughts, and I know that it would be helpful to her and our friendship to get clarity soon. However, while trying to discern this in thought and prayer, I'm overwhelmed by very conflicting and unclear feelings. On one hand, I feel attracted to her joy, her good heart, her patience, her loyalty, her faith. When we're not able to meet, even for a short period of time, it causes me physical pain. Also, from a rational perspective, our friendship would be a great foundation for a relationship. On the other hand, I feel no butterflies in my stomach. She's not the only woman I have eyes for, And when I see other couples that are head over heels in love with each other, I wouldn't say that this is the kind of affection that I feel for her. 
I wonder whether I'm focusing too much on feelings that you should have when being in love, leading to my actual question. What is the role of, quote, being in love in Theology of the Body? Does God use falling in love for communicating His will? Would it be irresponsible to enter into a relationship without those typical romantic feelings? As she and our friendship are very valuable to me, I don't want to mess around by making half-hearted decisions. So I'm thankful for your insights and advice. Thank you so much for your valuable work, which has already provided me with a lot of clarity and guidance. Bless you, dear listener. I'm reminded right away as I hear your question of what John Paul II says in Love and Responsibility, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he's talking precisely about these, what you're calling butterflies or those feelings of being in love. And he says those feelings of being in love are fickle. They can aid a person in genuine love, which takes us beyond the feelings to a commitment to the good of the other person, commitment to upholding the good of the other person. Those feelings can aid in that, but they are not essential to it. In fact, he says, if you base a relationship merely on those feelings, what happens to the relationship when those feelings fade or change or disappear altogether, which as life indicates that often happens. Uh, The commitment of the will to the good of the other is the foundation of the relationship. And those feelings can aid in it, but if that's what you're basing it on, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. What you have described as your relationship with this person, your friendship with this person, As I hear it, it sounds like a very solid foundation on which to build a lasting relationship and much more solid than the mere, what we call the feelings of falling in love. It's it's an interesting expression, falling in love. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's almost like you tripped and fell, right? It almost sounds like something that happens to you. Mm. And I remember this movie, it just got, the scene got ingrained in my head. I saw it in the late 90s, uh, The Horse Whisperer with Robert Redford and some, I forget the actress, but she's some married woman who's burdened by life and burdened by the commitments of marriage. And she travels off into the country. She lives in the city, but she travels off into the country to this horse farm, and she falls in love with Robert Redford's Redford's character. And I remember she says at one point in the movie, I didn't want this to happen, meaning I didn't want to fall in love with you. It just did. It happened. Well, that's the sure indication that it's not love Mm. because love comes from freedom. Love comes from a choice. It's aided by feelings. We do not dismiss the feelings. John Paul II would call that the raw material of love. But those feelings, that raw material, if it's not held together, John Paul II says, by the correct gravitational pull, and the correct gravitational pull would be the value and dignity of the person. When those feelings are not held together by the the true dignity and value of the person, 
Those feelings can add up not to love, but to its direct opposite. So it sounds to me like your, your relationship is a, a beautiful gift. And it sounds to me like you do have a foundation on which to build that could, could be lasting and solid. I can't say I know that this is the person you're meant to marry. I, there's no way I could possibly know that. But I, I would want to, in your discernment, my counsel to you would be, don't worry that you don't have those butterflies. That is not something upon which to base a relationship. It can aid, it can lead to a solid relationship, but it's not something on which to base it. And if they're absent, I wouldn't say that's reason not to continue the relationship. I agree so much with you. And just interesting that that example from that movie came to your mind because how well it illustrates the danger of overly valuing yes. feelings like yeah. that. Because here was a married woman at feeling those feelings towards someone other than her right. husband. Right. So it's it was absolutely a temptation to grave sin and right. destructiveness in her life, not an aid to anything good in that situation. Maybe if she had had, you know, I'm just looking at that story for a moment, trying to reflect on what happened theoretically in the story with it. If that woman, if a woman in that situation would have guarded her heart from entertaining all that, there's got to be sort of things that you're imagining and dwelling on. If she had looked at her own thoughts and heart and recognized whatever I'm appreciating in this man, I can bless without inserting my, you know, future into his path or something like that, you know, without making it about me and my feelings and how does this person make me feel. There, There is a call always to, you know, respond in truth. And she's giving us just this example of, of embracing a lie that yeah. somehow there's this better life out there with right. this guy that she's not married to. So how many times, how often that happens all around us. I'm, I, you know, that, that we um, are given this message that somehow we just need to escape our current situation. And there's some alternate reality free from some burdens that would just be our happiness or, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the truth. Like, we're human beings. We're called to follow the Lord. He asked us to, to take up our crosses to follow Him. Like, to think uh, the devil keeps tempting us by saying, oh, here's a path with no cross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but we are, we're so vulnerable to that because it is, it is hard, you know, to live as Jesus is calling us to live. But He's, he's with us every step. I feel so uplifted just by hearing how our listener spoke about this friendship yeah. and how blessed he is. And I would encourage him to spend some time genuinely thanking God for the gift of this friendship, like in his own prayer time, setting aside some of this anxiety about what is the future of it, to, to be present to the gift for a time, and from that place, ask the Lord, how am I to love this person? Because you already do love your friends, you know, obviously, but is there something more He's asking of you in loving this person? And, and just be open. And 
you know, recognizing that if it's not a call to a romantic partnership, marriage, you know, just ask, then would I be willing to bless her on her way to marriage with someone else? Like, that's those are good ways to kind of reflect on what is my deep heart saying about and all this. And what does the thought of her marrying someone else possibly do to you? Right. Can you imagine that being for you an excitement and you could bless her on her way and, and you know, remain a friend that honored the good of her marriage to someone else? Or does that put a pit in your stomach mm. at the thought of it? Something that he said that really struck me was, uh, how did he say it about, I'm in pain when, when we're away from each other? Yeah, yeah, that was sort of telling, wasn't it? He says, when we're not able to meet even for a short period of time, it causes me physical pain. Causes me physical pain. I know, I found I, that interesting. I would pay attention to that. Like, that's that's pretty deep. Like, that that comes from a, this is a, this is a real friendship you have that's, that goes deep in your soul. Mm. And building a marriage on that is far more secure than building a marriage on the feeling of being in love. And my guess would be you're, you're, you're questioning this and maybe doubting yourself here because of the way the culture in which we live, how this culture overvalues those feelings. In fact, places almost all emphasis on those feelings and even equates love itself with those feelings. It's, it's a lie. It's a lie. Now, I don't want to dismiss the feelings as if they don't play some role. Of course they do. But, but to place the amount of attention and value on the feeling of being in love that our culture does is to miss the entirety of the true foundation of of a lasting relationship. Mm. So do just do the math. Look at the culture the culture that promotes love as that. How's that culture doing with lasting relationships? Mm. Not so good, right? And why don't relationships last when they're based on those feelings? Because those feelings don't last. Those feelings are fickle. But the value and dignity of the person is not fickle. It not only lasts, but your realization of it, if you're on that journey from the start, it deepens. Your understanding of the dignity and value of the person deepens. Marriage, JP2 says in Love and Responsibility, is the commitment to uphold the, the true dignity and value of the person over the course of a lifetime. That's the commitment of marriage. If you believe you're already doing that in this friendship and would want to do that for a lifetime, then get married. That's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> Ready for another question? Yes, I am. Okay. This is from a listener named Caitlin. Hello, Caitlin. Hello, Wendy and Christopher. This isn't a question. It's just a note of appreciation for Christopher, which is a bit late because the episode... The episode it relates to came out maybe a couple of months ago. I just wanted to say a quick thanks to Christopher for his nuanced discussion of the Barbie movie. I was so frustrated by the polarized takes that my friends had on that film. 
All my atheist friends were praising it to the skies, while all my Catholic friends were talking about it like it had come straight from the devil. And I felt like they were looking for things to be offended by and interpreting the film in the worst possible light. I think that film was deeply flawed and got many things wrong, but I also think it was trying to work some really complex problems out. And it actually illustrated the dangers of flipping the coin and replacing patriarchy with matriarchy. Anyway, I just really appreciated the nuance you brought in your comments about it. Not just because it was nice to hear a less oversimplified take, but also, and in particular, because it was great to hear a Catholic saying those things. I feel like there's so much pressure for Catholics to get fired up and outraged about things. It's like we're completely forgetting how to listen and sit with complexity. I get the sense that people are afraid that if they stop and listen, they're going to catch someone else's opinion or get corrupted or something. Anyway, I wanted to say thanks for that episode, just in case no one else had said it. And not just in this instance, but always. I've been listening to your podcast for ages, and it's so nice knowing I don't need to have a knot in my stomach, because neither you nor Wendy are going to say anything inflammatory or aggressive or obnoxious. (laughs) But you also are 100% faithful to church teaching. It's really refreshing. So thank you both. I'm praying for you and your ministry. T.O.B. is so, so important. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin, we love you. Bless you, Caitlin. Thank you for just catching the the spirit with which we do what we do. And and I know exactly what you're talking about, that polarization, that kind of we got to pounce on things. It's just not an authentically Catholic way to live, right? To be Catholic and to think as a Catholic is to be willing to recognize truth wherever it comes from. And if I were to sum up my take on the Barbie movie, which I've, I've only seen once, um, <clears throat> I would say it's a thoughtful movie. That does not mean I agree with everything it's thinking about or, or the positions it may, may be promoting, but it's a thoughtful movie. It's not just, it's not just uh, beating the drum of a certain agenda. It's saying, let's look at these issues, and it's doing it from a secular perspective, but there's thoughtfulness that, to it, and it's, it's, yeah, that's what I would say. It's a, it's a thoughtful movie, uh, and it's looking at some really complex dynamics in the relationship of men and women and trying, uh, not always successfully, but trying to examine those conflicts and propose – I wouldn't even say it's even trying to propose solutions as much as just, just looking at the dynamics of complexities in the relationship of men and women – yeah, so thank you for your thoughtfulness, Caitlin, and thank you for affirming the work we're doing. And it's not like Wendy and I said, sat down and thought, hmm, what's going to be our approach to doing a podcast? We don't want to be like that, and we don't want to be like that. We want to be like this. No, that we, we never even thought about our approach to doing a podcast. We just decided to do a podcast, and we're trying to share 
whatever wisdom and insight we might have as a married couple trying to live this out ourselves. And we have so many other people to thank for, for the way they've shaped us and helped us to, to think in a more balanced way. I, I think of, you know, your family, Wendy, growing up and my family growing up and just thoughtful conversations and mm-hmm. a willingness in our upbringings to look at various sides and of, a, of an argument and think critically and look for elements of truth in the culture. I think of my mentor, Lorenzo Albacete, and, and how he helped me to think so clearly. I mean, just studying John Paul II and seeing his respect for the, the truth wherever it can be found and the spiritual direction, Wendy, that you and I have received over the years, all of this goes into form and shape our approach. It's not a it's not an approach that is, you know, one with foreknowledge or, or planning out. It's just trying to share who we are. So, Caitlin, thank you for recognizing the goodness there, and uh, thanks for being a faithful listener. Yeah. She said she's been listening to us for ages. I loved that phrase, have for we, ages. Have we been doing this for ages? It's so funny. Listeners, you're going to laugh, but Christopher and I, we're old enough, I have to say, that time is getting sort of weird to us where (laughs) when we acknowledge we've been making a podcast for five years now like that just sounds like really like I kind of feel like we just started but that's so ridiculous but yeah that was a great phrase she's been listening for ages that was just I loved it Um, (laughs) because it's just good for me to recognize like I'm confused about time but speaking of time I wanted to say something too because I, I really, of course, when you talked about mentors and all the things, I'm thinking of John Paul II, of course, looking at a picture of him on the wall right now, such an awesome man, saint and gift to our lives. Um, but in Theology of the Body, you know, he so clearly in talking about who are human beings, which is kind of underlying this whole question, who are we as human beings? And he, he talks about our origins before history, God's utter good gift. He talks about where we're going in heaven, which is a place of all goodness. And he talks about now. And he doesn't say that it's like there's good and good on both ends and bad in the middle because historical man, which is what he describes where we are, yes, we've all inherited original sin and it has distorted us, but hasn't erased that original goodness. Christ has come to save us and pour out graces. That is That powerful gift of God hasn't completely transformed us yet. We're on that path of transformation and redemption by His generous outpouring. Um, So, we're this mixture. And I think that's kind of what Caitlin's talking about. I, I do think the Pope's just vision of who we are as human beings is really so fundamental to how we have, you know, just approached life. Yeah, and a term that comes to mind that we learned from John Paul II that has informed so deeply the way we approach life is his, well, not just the term, but his condemnation 
of those who subscribe to this, what he calls the interpretation of suspicion. Mm. And the interpretation of suspicion is the idea that everything is jaded. Uh, there's no purity possible. There's no real goodness out there. It's just corruption. And you recognize how corrupt you are, which, by the way, we are all corrupt. That's true. But it's a hopeless view because you're, you're looking maybe forthrightly at the reality of corruption. But in the end, you empty the cross of its power and or you don't recognize that the nature of evil is to distort what is good. And so you, you just look with a jaundiced eye at everything and you, you look at your own corruption and you project it onto everybody else. And that's to fail to recognize that evil is the distortion of a good and with purity of heart, we can see the good even in what is twisted up. I'll tell you one scene from the Barbie movie that I've revisited many, many times in my own mind and heart, which I found profound and compelling. Barbie is at this party in Barbie land, which is this assumed ideal place uh, where you don't have to deal with, with, with um, bad breath. You don't have to deal with, uh, what do they call those things when you get fat and you have them on your thighs? What are they called? Love handles? No, no, no. no, no. Oh, cellulite? Cellulite, cellulite, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to deal with cellulite. You don't have to deal with bad breath. And you don't have to deal with D-E-A-T-H, death, the biggie that we all have to deal with and face. So all these, you know, beautiful people without love handles or cellulite or bad breath are dancing at this party. And all of a sudden there's like this record screech. And uh, well, the record screech comes after Barbie says, Hey, I've been thinking about death record screech. Everybody stops like what? Like their whole, the facade, the falsehood mm. of Barbie land collapses in an instant or the illusion the, the falseness is revealed in an instant the illusion collapses in an instant mm -hmm. when barbie has the nerve to say i've been thinking about death and the next morning barbie wakes up she has bad breath she has cellulite mm. and it was i mean i have revisited that scene so many times in my thinking like this is what this whole illusion of a, a pornified, airbrushed, uh, illusory world teaches us. The whole vision of a pornified, airbrushed ideal of the body is to prevent us really from squarely looking at death. Uh, it's, it's a, and it's a false salvation. Right. Uh, we, we, salvation in Christianity is, is uh, remarkably and astonishingly, the way we enter into eternal life is by embracing death, by facing it squarely mm. and trusting that the God who loves us, that his love is stronger than death, right? Pope Benedict XVI says that the fundamental dilemma, the fundamental conundrum, the fundamental reality of human existence, the main problem, if you will, of human existence is that the heart cries out 
for eternity. The heart cries out for a love, a joy, a happiness that lasts forever, but we're confronted with death. And he calls that cry of the heart for a love that lasts forever. He calls it rightly Eros, E-R-O-S. And he says the cry of Eros in the Song of Songs is for a love that is stronger than death. And he says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the answer from God to that cry, that erotic cry from the Song of Songs for a love that is stronger than death. Right? So, yeah, the Barbie movie is thoughtful because it's willing to look at this. It's willing to look at what the culture is unwilling to look at, which is death. <laughs> yeah, that was one aspect of the movie I found, found very thoughtful. Too. So just to, it's so, it's so untrue just to write something off because there's stuff in it that's wrong or messed up. Of course, there's stuff messed up in everything. This is reality, right? You're, you're really falling into a puritanical view of the world to demand uh, that everything be completely un, untainted. There's no such thing, right? Jesus himself said, the wheat and the weeds grow within us at the same, you know, at the same time. And the catechism says, the wheat and the weeds will grow in us till the end of time. Uh, what we're called to is discernment. Where's the wheat? Where are the weeds? right? Foster the wheat, don't foster the weeds, and don't try aggressively or, or um, with your puritanical sense of righteousness to pull those weeds out, because what does Jesus say? You'll pull the weed out with it. Mm. Leave that to the harvest master at the end of time. I, I feel like that phrase really struck me in a, in a new way, like Maybe some of this suffering that Caitlin's talking about is that feeling of the wheat being pulled out. Yes. Yeah, I bet it is. Good point, Wendy. Caitlin, thank you for just your heart. We really appreciate it. We're so grateful to everybody who submits questions to our podcast. Keep them coming. Uh, the podcast doesn't exist without you guys, so thank you so much. If you heard something of value in today's episode and you want to share that with somebody, please hit that share button. That's how we grow our audience. And Wendy, I'm going to turn it over to you this time to start us off with our little conclusion. Okay. I pray that every one of our listeners would remember that you are a gift. And know there is grace flowing from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for all of us to become what we are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 